Welcome to this discussion, uh, latest in our series of discussions on the growth paradox, a series that, that we're doing on the subject of growth and the strange, examining the strange fact that although growth is extremely important for any business to succeed, most companies struggle somewhat to grow sustainably and profitably. And our, our series of discussions examines the reasons why that might be and explore some of the ideas and techniques and, and, and things that are out there to help companies to grow more more uh, sustainably and more profitably. The subject we're going to talk about today is marketing. Our companies craft and target their messages to both recruit more customers and also build loyalty from existing customers. And we're going to particularly examine an approach that I call marketing to open minds. So marketing to open minds has got three characteristics, each of which we'll, we'll explore. The first is um, a relentless targeting of highest potential customers. It's very easy for companies, especially big companies, to spread their marketing messages across the whole marketplace. And typically, that will mean an awful lot of them fall on uh, fallow, fallow ground and are wasted. Secondly, uh, we're going to uh, examine how building emotional connection is important to opening up consumers to uh, listen to your sales pitch and to potentially uh, react to you. And thirdly, we'll examine how uh, targeting messages at the right moments, the moments when consumers are most ready to receive them, makes a huge difference. So three different aspects of that sort of overarching concept, which I call marketing to open minds. To join me in this discussion this morning, I'm very pleased to welcome uh, Chris Clark, one of the genuine UK marketing gurus who's with us today. Chris, Chris is the uh, CMO at HSBC and uh, is going to join me for this discussion today. So, uh, Perfect person to have, Chris. Thank you very much for, for coming along. Sure. Do you want to start off just by giving a little bit of your personal history and maybe in the sort of course of that, if you had to pick out one particular growth highlight, what would you, what would you pick? Well, I, from a personal sort of point of view, I've had a lovely mixed career, which I've thoroughly enjoyed. So I started on the client side of things with people like Levi Strauss, uh, did a few years there, then got seduced into the advertising business and spent very sort of productive and happy period of time, mostly at Saatchi and Saatchi for about 12 years. And then after that, I was in New York and found myself on the end of a job offer from uh, HSBC, yeah. which was a kind of funny one at the time. Mm. Sat there and thought to yourself, a bank, mm. really? Um, but we came home, and I've had a fabulous 16 years with HSBC. Been involved in a huge amount of change in their business. Uh, clearly also some kind of trouble along the way. Uh, banking has not necessarily mm. been a very easy place mm. to operate. But actually, the kind of growth story that I'll use and maybe use it throughout today was around a proposition we built within the bank around about 2006, 2007, and it's still thriving today, and it's still having kind of you know, new and interesting features built mm. onto it, mm. which is called Premier, mm. which is really for slightly higher net worth customers. Mm. But um, I'll tell you more of that story mm. as we go. Mm. But Premier was one of those wonderful successes, mm. having forged a brand around what was the world's local mm. bank, which I'm sure mm. a few folks mm. can vaguely mm. remember. Um, we then built ourselves a proper international financial services mm. proposition for retail customers. Mm. And that's where it was born. Mm. And I think what happened for us then was we got an opportunity to build a platform to look at customer needs in a very different way, to start looking at what were probably our most valuable customers and to look at often the changing needs they had as they went mm. through different life mm. stages, but also as they changed. Some of them were expats, some of them owned homes abroad, 
And it was a very interesting kind of exercise in a category that didn't really kind of exist. Mm. You know, international yeah. financial services <coughs> wasn't something that retail customers got much of. And that was, so that was developed back in about 2007 and is still there today and is still developing today. And that's, that's an international proposition. So that's something which, which is, is utilized across the world, right, by, by HSBC? Yes, it's available in all of our countries where we have a retail banking presence. It's something that we've continued to develop. We've put a sort of extra special kind of piece on the top of all of that now mm. for higher net worth premier customers called mm. Jade, which mm. has some brilliant added value components, and that was launched this year. Mm-hmm. We've continued throughout this period of time, obviously, to embrace the digital agenda, mm. to provide our customers with much more kind of, you know, easy access to all of the services they need. Mm-hmm. It's been a brilliant kind of mm. discovery of a proper customer-centric mm. yeah. piece of yeah. product design, marketing. Which is not always service. what the banks are famous for, is it? So not that's, really. That's, uh, yeah, we have our moments. And I can say that as, a, as somebody who's, who's worked in a big bank as well. So, so but it, yeah, it's, yeah, it is. And so for us, it was kind of born, as I said, out of a sort of brand positioning that embraced a multitude of complexity which we have as a business. You know, mm. When you look mm. at a company like HSBC, I think when I walked through the door, we operated in 86 countries. Mm. We had a private bank. We had an investment bank. We had a corporate bank. We had a personal bank. Uh, We had all of them united under a single piece of branding, which Mm. was the HSBC logo. Mm. But it hadn't really come to mean anything yet. And so when we set about looking at the character of the company, we discovered a kind of incredible organization that I think a couple Mm. of us used to say you know, it had a fantastically kind of strong personality with mm. very little self-awareness. Mm. And the job of marketing in the early days and the mm. brand effort was to bring that kind of sense of self to the fore. Mm-hmm. And what we discovered was there was a sort of joy at HSBC mm. about the different places it served and the cultures mm. it embraced and the types of customers it mm. had. Mm. And I think we sort of took some of that and forged what was then a relatively mm. kind of high-profile campaign around the whole piece about mm. positioning the overall HSBC brand yeah. as the world's local bank. Yeah, yeah. And lying around in a sort of dusty cupboard mm. was this funny little thing called Premier, which was really born out of s- savings accounts primarily, mm. often for retired customers. Mm. And so we took this thing and dusted it down. Uh, we went off and said to ourselves, what we really need is proper connectivity mm. because when we look at our international customers, so folks who'd been perhaps you know, on an expat package in Dubai who had a house in the UK and a sort of holiday home in sort of mm. France, they had a need for banking in three different countries. Mm. So we, uh, for anyone who's ever worked in financial services, I know you, mm. Andy, mm. you know, we went through that horrendous process mm. of trying to get our back office technology boys mm. to get our, mm. you know, sort of compliance people to be, embrace mm. the idea that we're going to let people have all of this in one place. Mm. That you log on once, mm. you get to mm. see all three of those sorts of accounts. Mm. You can move money between them. Scary. Click of a mouse. Yeah. I mean, we had lots of folks internally going, oh, no, stay away. Mm. And so, but we said, no, no, come on. It's what Mm. we're about. And we convinced folks that it was the right thing to do. Mm. We put all the right checks and balances around it. And we launched it in about 2007 with obviously a big marketing effort. Mm. And uh, we were very clear about our Mm. targeting. One of the things that we have clearly, which banks have loads of, is customer data. And I think for us, what we were really setting about doing was starting to think about data as being our customers' data, really, and how do we make it work for them. Mm. And if I can see you've got you know, transactions mm. going out to foreign currencies, all that kind of stuff, 
then basically, you know, maybe you might have some of your banking in other mm. banks. So unite it all under Premier. Yeah. It was a very compelling proposition for those customers. And it began with that expatriate bit. The interesting thing we found, um, and we kind of had this funny term someone coined, cosmocrats, which were these kind of, you know, slightly expat mm. people or people who had a different worldview. And then we had these kind of group of people who seemed to all of a sudden start arriving in Premier. Mm. And we did a little bit of work to find out sort of who they were. And we actually called them armchair cosmocrats. <laughs> they were folks who would, you know, love the idea of very, very exotic holidays. Mm. They might read National Geographic. They mm. might be kind of just engaged with different cultures. Mm. They had friends and family who had gone off and mm. done quite interesting things. And actually, we had, therefore, a kind of mm. secondary part of this original target, which was quite mm -hmm. tight. All of a sudden, you started finding these other people going, oh, absolutely great. So they're sort oh. of virtually living the lifestyle almost. Yeah, yeah you know, so yeah. when I fly to Patagonia mm. and I land at Buenos Aires Airport, there's an HSBC. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. we're all over the jet yeah. bridges and all that yeah. good stuff. And so they would go off on these kind of trips and they would always see us there. And it was sort of nice, actually. And so it became much bigger than we thought it would. Mm. And so from a growth point of view, going back yeah. to your original yeah. point on growth, we had a fantastic kind of proposition on our hands that was giving us growth, and sometimes in places we hadn't necessarily yeah, thought yeah, we would. Yeah, okay, that's cool. That's a great example. I'm sure we're going to come back to that because there's lots of different elements of that which are very relevant to what we're going to talk about today. So we take that as a start point then and then look at these three different aspects of, of you know, what I call a marketing to open minds approach. So uh, relentless targeting the highest potential customers, establishing an emotional connection, and then uh, reaching them at the moments when they're ready to be, to be talked to. We'll take each one in turn. From my own experience of financial services, the first of those, targeting the highest potential customers, is, is difficult for all big businesses, especially for banks. Bank like HSBC, everybody's a potential customer. You've got millions of customers anyway. And I know from my own experience in financial services, there's an awful lot of pressures almost pushing you out to try to just grab as many customers as you possibly can. How do you guys approach the challenge of saying, you know, our, our opportunities are not equal with everybody. There are certain groups here that are very high potential for us or highly valuable to us. How do you go about segmenting the market, understanding who they are, and then targeting them in your marketing activity? I think for us it's not necessarily one of those things where we stick a screen over the world and sort of sieve it out to try and get the golden nuggets. I think for us what we have is peculiar opportunities that present themselves and so when we look at China, which I think is a fantastic example for mm. us, mm. Uh, for many years we had a joint venture with a big local bank to put credit cards into the market, mm. Bank of Communications. It was a very successful joint venture. That came to its end about a year and a half ago. And we have an opportunity now to have a full HSBC credit card proposition in China. And therefore, what we have is an opportunity to use some incredibly interesting kind of um, data that's available now to target customers in somewhere like China. So for those who spend their lives reading around some of the stuff that's going on on the web, mm. WeChat, mm. which is an amazing mm. platform that exists mm. in China, mm. uh, for those who are uninitiated, mm. go find out about it. Mm. It's an astonishing phenomenon. Mm. But actually, the WeChat platform is our primary marketing vehicle mm. that, because of the richness of its data, allows us to be quite selective mm. and not necessarily just charge at everybody. Mm. And sometimes I think you know, there's a responsibility in banks that we don't give vast amounts of credit to people who can't afford to mm. pay it back. And we don't pursue everyone um, with the sort of same kind of vanilla proposition. Mm. And so what we've done in China is we've launched cards, propositions that have very specific kind of you know, benefits that China customers want. 
So there's a sort of shop and dine kind of card, which is really around those who are very domestic-minded. Mm-hmm. There's a sort of traveller card, which is much more for folks who obviously make their way out mm-hmm. from... At the moment, we're sort of very live in what's called the Pearl River Delta, mm-hmm. which is the Shenzhen, yeah, Guangzhou yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of corridor. And so for us, you know, what we've found is the modern sort of world and the kind of new markets like mm. China as they develop, giving us opportunities to use that data that's available in a public domain, not our data, to actually target customers in the right kind of way, to even look at occasions when they've got more predisposition to hear from us and be kind of you know, mindful of the fact that we've then got to create a great customer experience yeah. that is very in keeping with how they run their lives. So are you, are you am I hearing from that, that part of the way that you do it is you're almost targeting by proposition. You're, you're identifying there's a, there's a behavior here or a group of people who are, who are behaving in this way. We'll develop a proposition for that behavior and we'll target that behavior. That might not necessarily mean that those people are not, you know, have got other behaviors that we're not particularly targeting, but... Is that how you do it? Are you talking heavy rather than it's a it's a relatively blunt instrument in a place yeah. where there are billions of people. You know, there's 1.6 billion people in China, mm. and it's a difficulty trying to use classical kind of. You know, you try and do your sort of you know behavioural kind mm. of targeting, or you try and do your sort of mm. you know classical kind of segmentations that you've mm. had elsewhere. It's much more complicated. You mm. know, it's sort of well, it's just not possible. It, the mm. world doesn't work that way. But if you look at WeChat which mm. can give you kind of data around customers who have, you know, spend a lot of time looking at different offers from retailers who you can tell from the WeChat platform, those who book restaurants through the WeChat. Mm. It gives you a kind of opportunity to say, why don't we develop a card that has incentives and the right mm. kinds of, mm. you know, sort of levers for the customer mm. that represent the way they live their life rather mm. than mm-hmm. you're 25 to 35 mm. and you have a household mm. income of X, mm. Y, Z, and that, and that. Mm. Don't do any of that. Mm. Start looking at how people live rather than mm. sort of what they are defined by. So targeting, so that's, that's, so, that's interesting. So targeting by, by socio-demographics, simple socio-demographics, you would say, is not the right way to go. Too blunt an instrument. People are not like that. Rather, you're looking at how they live, yes. people's lifestyles, and then trying to, I think I'm hearing, construct propositions that appeal to a certain lifestyle or a, or a certain behavior. And, and I, I, don't, I think it's not necessarily, for, for us, it's not the appeal yeah. piece. For us, what we try and do is look to be more useful. Mm. And I'll give you an example that goes back to Premier for a second. Mm. When we developed what's called the Jade Proposition, which is for slightly higher net mm. worth customers, we went to a fantastic partner company who mm. are part of that proposition for us mm-hmm. called Quintessentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what Quintessentially do is they supply a variety of concierge services mm. so they can help you with tickets to shows, they can do, get, you, get you restaurant bookings. They also have two incredibly useful services to our high net worth customers mm. who have that premier piece, one of which is an education service that says, should you want to educate your children abroad, we have a service where you can discuss universities, schools, we also have a property finding service, mm, mm. so we can then help you mm. find a property in another country or in a town mm. nearby or whatever else you need. And so what we've done is said to ourselves, it's how people live their lives that's kind of more important mm. than you know, what's their kind of 
their value for us on day one. We know most of these customers have relatively good returns. We know mm -hmm. from modeling and what we do in terms of some of our business analytics that these are great customers. Yeah. But actually what we've got to do is make sure what we're doing is helping them live their lives yeah. and not just sit there and think, you know, yeah. how do I get one of them? Yeah. Well, what are they doing? Yeah. How are they doing things? Yeah. And how do we start to both build our proposition and obviously our marketing programs yeah. around those things? And, and do you find, because I mean, certainly when I was working in, in banking and also in, in other sectors that I've worked in retailing, for example, one of the challenges is sometimes you can build great propositions and the appeal can be, but can almost appeal to, to, to the wrong people. You end up with a, with a very broad socio-demographic that you're, you're appealing to, which is not uh, as commercially attractive as it, as, it, as it could be. Is that something that's a problem? Or do you find that if you get your propositions right, the, the sort of commercial side of it takes, takes, care of it takes care of itself a little bit? We, we have a kind of, um, we have a different sort of view, I think, which says there is often a restrictive nature to how a proposition manifests itself. Mm -hmm. Premier is for international mm -hmm. customers who mm -hmm. have homes abroad, da, 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 mm -hmm. right? And you kind of think, well, that means you've limited yourself mm -hmm. to a very small pool mm -hmm. of people. No, mm -hmm. it's where the centre of gravity of it mm -hmm. lands. You know, Virgin Atlantic, I think, mm -hmm. is an, a very interesting exercise in saying mm -hmm. actually, mm -hmm. Virgin Atlantic kind of stands for people who want to have a big fat party between mm -hmm. here and New York. Well, that's everybody, isn't it? Yeah. Kinda, mm. but not really. Yeah. My mum and dad, when mm. I lived in New mm. York, who would have then been in their seventies, mm. flew Virgin Atlantic, yeah. and they thought, "Oh, they were so nice, and I've got a nice drink." And you know, mm. it didn't really kind of matter. It's sort of how far out from mm. that centre of gravity okay. you that's can a also good, that's pull a good stuff point, yeah. in. Yeah. And so for us, as I said, we had the armchair cosmocrats, and also in Premier, I remember, you know, and it is one of the things you do get. You get pushback from people mm. in business, sometimes who have a very literal mindset. And it's not big deal. I mean, lots of people are very literal about how they see the world. And I remember having a conversation with a branch manager in our mm. sort of, you know, area director. Oh, Premier's no use for my area. We're the mm. southwest. Mm. We've got, you know, lots of really good customers and da-da-da-da. But come the financial crisis in 2008, mm. two and a half years, two years after we launched Premier, the international nature of it gave people a view that we were diversified. Mm. that we had a spread to our mm. business that mm. meant we weren't mm. filled with contagion. Yeah. Yeah. And guess what? Yeah. You know, Mr. Smith, who's a retired yeah. civil servant who lives in sort of, you know, Cheltenham, was making his way to us with his savings account. Because, because he felt, we were he big, felt more secure than because of that diversity. Yeah. Mm. And to some extent, yeah. being true to who you are yeah. and being selective and accepting that the name of the game isn't let's get everybody, yeah. is a mentality you have to get within the management team. Yeah. And our management team are very good like that. Yeah. My senior guys who I've worked with who mm. run the big business lines are not guys who sit there and say, mm. we're for everybody. Mm. They know we're not. In the commercial bank, we mm. don't bank everybody. Mm. But if you want to be doing business with China, mm. if you want to be opening a small manufacturing facility and parts finishing facility in Singapore, if you want to have a kind of conduit through the NAFTA trade agreements in North America, we're the kind of guys you're for you. To talk to, yeah. If you're a domestic yeah. business, maybe a kind of yeah. you know ten shop retailer, yeah. you'd be as well to be at Barclays, yeah. NatWest, Lloyd's, Santander, or us. Actually, it's vanilla at that yeah. point. Yeah. But we're very good for certain types of people, yeah. and we are very clear about that and clear-eyed in the kind of management team. Yeah. Okay. That's good. That's that's really helpful. So okay. So what I'm getting from that then is, is it feels like this is an area that. HSBC actually has done a lot of thinking about at, at senior, senior levels. You're absolutely not saying, you know, we, we just categorize people socio-demographically and then target little, little chunks. 
we try to understand what is it that we can particularly offer that adds value to a lifestyle or a certain circumstance, and we develop propositions in that way, and then regard those almost as a center of gravity, and then they will have super attraction to certain people and some attraction to other people, and in that way, you're ensuring that you're talking disproportionately to the people that you can provide the, the best value for, if you like, the best, yeah, the best and, service for. And we see when we look at our data, you know, you look at one of our premier customers who is probably our most highest value, they will give us good ratings for the kind of, you know, service we provide and the kind of stuff they have. And they'll have 12 products with us yeah. because they'll have yeah. mortgages in two countries, yeah. they'll have savings yeah. accounts in three yeah. countries, etc. And those customers for us are of great value. And often we see customers move through various Mm. different life stages. So, you know, you may come to us as a general banking customer, take what is our kind of tier below Premier, which is called Advance. You kind of get promoted at work. You become a Premier customer. You get Mm. sent to Dubai. You become a Mm. Premier customer in more than one country. Mm. You then find yourself starting your own business. So Mm. you become a corporate customer. Mm. One day you IPO your company. Mm. You become a customer of the private bank. Mm. And you become now a customer of our global banking and markets division. Mm. Those customer stories Mm. exist in our business. Mm. And that long-term approach, you know, some of them are, you know, Hong Kong customers, some Mm. of them are UK customers. But that approach to how we see a customer Mm. is very important to us. Yeah, okay, that's cool. That kind of is a nice segue onto the the next section, actually, which is about almost exactly what you've just just talked about, building deep emotional relationships with customers and the benefit that that gives you. So the the sort of proposition that that, that I'm starting with is saying, you know, unless you can build some sort of emotional connection with customers, it's a lot harder to persuade them to buy your product or service because, as humans, we all like doing business with people that we like, you know, and, and... if you don't like somebody, no matter how persuasive they are, you probably won't do business with them. The type of example you've just given is where a customer over time has obviously built a deep relationship with HSBC, likes HSBC, and is, is quite prepared to, to give lots and lots of business to HSBC, probably not because every one of those different propositions has been individually analyzed, but rather they just believe this is my bank, I like them, they like me, this is where I'm going to go. Building emotional connections like that it's historically difficult for banks because, you know, for all the reasons we know, banks are big monolithic organizations. They've got lots and lots of customers. They've had a bit of a bad press, but they all understand we need to have better relationships with our customers. How do we, how do, we do that? How do we, how do we start to build those, those emotional relationships? How have you guys approached that challenge? I think it's a, it's a hard one because I think, obviously, with the backdrop of stuff that's happened, with changes in regulation, which yeah. we are not in control of. Yeah. So the fact that we will make you give us vast amounts of information about your source of wealth, about you know your sort of bank, you know your previous banking histories, all of that stuff feels very intrusive to customers. But it's part of what we now have to do. I think the kind of piece where we finally onboarded customers and we have them into a place where we can see them on a more day-to-day basis is that what we have to do at the beginning of all of that is to generate a sense of, it's a little precursor to trust, if you like, mm. which is more about mm. our um, you know, sort of reliability and our mm. ability to do what we say we're going to do. Mm. And there's a lot of that kind of stuff. Only when you've got to those kinds of levels can you start to figure out how to make things feel a little different from a point of view of how you're dealt with. Mm. One of the businesses we've got, we're fiercely proud of, is First Direct. Um, They are a continuous winner. 
Yeah. I mean, that's a great, great and fascinating example, isn't it, of a yeah. bank that has managed to yeah. almost be relationship first. And it's kind of something in the walls, up in Leeds, where they all are, and I'm one of my favourite bits of our business to do business with. And for years, that sort of sense of the customer and the kind of, you know, fact we let them off the leash. You know, I think I was, um, you know, there's, a, there's an example I use, which is, personal one to me, which was when I had a kind of, I'm a first direct customer, I've been a first direct customer mm. well before I mm. joined HSBC. Mm. Um, and I basically had to get some vast number of bills paid um, for a loft extension we mm. had done. And I had all the money stuck in an account and it mm. all had to be shipped out to builders and architects and all sorts of people. I have a 10 minute walk to my station in the morning and I remember ringing up the call centre in sort of first direct and I thought I'd do it by phone because it's easy. All the accounts are all set up in the pay box and it's fine. So a nice lady from our Scottish call centre, you know, up in Hamilton, who's brilliant. And so, 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 you know, so our first payment, can we make it, you know, 5,000 to these guys? Da-da-da-da. And we went through this sort of list. And I was like, okay, Mr. Clark, yes, well, okay, so that's 6,000 to these guys. Okay, I'll do that for you. And so it went on. And I got to the end of it, and I was just coming up to Ballam Tube, where I get onto the tube in the morning. And I, I, and I said to her, right, well, I think we're done. She said, well, is there anything else I can help you with today, Mr. Clark? Mm-hmm. I said, no, no, that's all right. Thanks, Maureen. That's good. Mm-hmm. But, well... I reckon that's mm. enough paying for any one person mm. in any one day. Mm. I think that was yeah. £23,000, Mr. Mm. I said, no, no, that's fine, Maureen. Yeah, they have permission mm, to yeah. kind of yeah. engage with us on a very human level. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's for us difficult to replicate everywhere. Mm. It's not right in some of our markets in places mm. like Asia. But you've got to have a bit of personality. You've got to feel like they care mm. because they've got to care. Mm. You can't fake it. You know. But it, it's so fascinating, right? Because, I mean, I, I you know... First Direct, everybody likes First Direct. Everybody banks with First Direct, loves, loves them. Everybody's heard of First Direct, loves, you know, admires them and loves, and loves them. And they've managed to build this, this, this relationship and this sense of being a great place to do business with, you know, people who are great, they care about you, all the rest of it. How have they done that when the rest of the banking industry, with great efforts, I know from my own time at Barclays how hard we worked at this, haven't achieved anything like the same emotional connection? How, how have... First Direct managed to do that? If I'm honest, and it's a very highly personal view, it's entirely down to allowing our people to be as human as is humanly possible. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And that is a kind of difficult yeah. thing for a lot of businesses, particularly when it's regulated. Especially banks, yeah. Yeah, particularly when it's highly regulated, particularly yeah. when there's commercial constraints, you know, particularly when, you know, in days gone by, anyone who ran call centers, yeah. whether you were mobile phone companies or banks or retailers, your job was to get the person off the phone yeah. as fast as yeah. possible. Your KPI, you know, first rate, yeah. you never embraced any of that. Yeah. When everybody brings IVR in as yeah. a way to get your customers through yeah. the kind of stuff, and then, you yeah. of course, first rate, no, we reject yeah. all of that. Yeah. And they had some very sound management. Yeah. You've understood the kind of secret source that's in the walls, and they've hung on to it. And we used to recruit for personality and then we teach you the banking. Mm. And that used to be mm. the, the, ad, the job ad that used to go out mm. for you know, call center reps was, you know, we want the right people, we'll mm. teach you about how yeah. banks work. And that's what we used to do. Yeah. And I think it's down to permission that people have that allows them to engage with people. And I think you know, it's not that we've restricted the kind of branch network in HSBC. It's just it's a different game, mm. and it's often got regulations and rules and other things because, you know, <coughs> complex services like wealth management and stuff like that, which we don't do much of in First Direct, you know, have all sorts of rules and regulations around them. It's very interesting, isn't it? And, and that, that comment you made about First Direct has almost let its people be humans first, you yes. know, and then, and then has come to the banking stuff after that. I think customers, 
sense that, you know. Yes. And, 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 and the, the other banks, for all, the, all good reasons, you know, regulatory rules and cultural reasons and all the rest of it, have struggled to do that. And, and you know, we, we did at Barclays. It was difficult for us to allow people just to interact as people. And no matter how efficient you are, the customer senses that, and you don't get that emotional connection. And, and you can't fake it. Yeah. You just can't fake it. It's one of those things that says, you know, how do I manufacture this, you know? And it makes a huge difference, doesn't it? If you can get that connection, if that's your start point, then the customer is, is a much more cooperative customer for you, much more likely to, to be sympathetic to you and to almost help you do your job well. Yeah, I think First Direct often is a sort of place where, you know, as a customer of First Direct, if, um, if they say, oh, no, we can't do that for you, your first port call is, oh, it must be something I've done. Rather than it's something they or, or it must be really genuine. It isn't just they're being difficult or something. If these guys are saying they can't do it, then I'm more likely to believe them and not get upset than yeah, if, but it, if it's know, somebody we, else. We have some wonderful numbers that exist in our business that are fantastic. So when we ask people to rate First Direct's um, you know, call center service, mm. let's say out of 100, mm. we get 89. Mm. When we ask them to rate you know, their internet banking mm. service, we get 86. Mm. When we ask them to rate their ATM network, we mm. get 84. Mm. Uh, when we ask HSBC customers to rate their ATM network, mm. we get 64. Mm. And it's the same ATM that's network. Same, but there you go. And that's it's the that's, brand effect that sits exactly. at the back that's of That's the all of this. perfect illustration, isn't it, that says it is actually the same, but it feels different. And because of that, from the customer's point of view, it is different. You know? But if you ask the first direct customer, uh, and we told them that <coughs> first direct, we're going to start a service like Uber next week. Uh, how would you rate it? Yeah. They'd rate it higher than Uber. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah, kind of yeah, not, yeah. it's daft stuff. Yeah. Because there is a fundamental belief that, you know, if they are going to start anything in the service industry for their customers, yeah. their customers it's going to be good. And that's absolute gold for any, any brand. Isn't totally. It? Do, you, do you get, we'll, we'll move on in a moment, but do you, do you get much of that in, in the Premier, with Premier customers as well? Because we can that, do, that's when we kind get it a, right. Yeah. Premier is a relationship managed proposition. Yeah. And for those people who we can keep stability with their relationship manager, where there have often been moments of high anxiety, because First Direct doesn't deal with vast amounts of high anxiety. So the day you've got to make a payment for uh, kind of closing a mortgage in France... And you've got an RM who kind of goes, okay, hang on, where did, what did you do with it? Oh, I think I left a number off the end of the account because I'm not used to how French account numbers work. Mm. And they go in and they recover something like that for you. Mm. That's gold dust too. Mm. And we will do that time and time mm. again. And what we've done also in the organization is try and start with some changes to how we incentivize our people. So we took, put two programs in place over the last sort of two years, which commercially for us were very difficult because we stopped incentivizing product sales. Mm-hmm. We only incentivize our frontline staff, premier relationship managers, mm-hmm. branch staff, everybody, on mm-hmm. customer satisfaction. That's it. Measured how? Uh, measured through basic survey. Right. So we go yeah. right the way down to a granular level, a branch level. It costs mm-hmm. us quite a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And obviously it means mm-hmm. our people concentrate on those things and so for us, it's measures such as that. Mm. And what we did recently also was we took a view that said we generate quite a lot of revenue mm. from you know, writing to people and saying you, you went overdrawn mm. when you shouldn't have done. Mm. So instead of doing that, 
we put a text message in place that mm. says, when you get overdrawn, we'll send you a text, mm. and as long as you put it right within the day, mm. there'll be no, no penalty. Mm. And it's brilliant, but it costs mm. us money. Mm. But it's the right things to do. Mm. You've mm. got to do the right things. It costs you money in short term, but probably makes you, makes you a lot of money in the, in the long term. We can only surmise. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Okay, cool, very, very helpful. Um, all right, so then moving on to the, to the third area then. So we've talked about Targeting highest potential customers, building emotional uh, relationships and how important but difficult that is. Third area I want to touch on, and again, I know this is very relevant to, to the financial services sector, is reaching customers with your marketing messages at those moments when they're most open to be talked to or to be, to be persuaded. Certainly we found when I was at Barclays there were many times when actually messaging people was counterproductive. They just weren't interested. They didn't want to think about loans or mortgages, whatever it might be. But if you could become very good at understanding the times, the situations, the lifestyle uh, stages when they were open, it made a huge difference in terms of how have, how have HSBC, with all of the different situations and customers you've got, how have you approached that challenge? I think for us, the sort of targeting piece when it comes to our own internal customers is much more around the kinds of knowledge we already have about the kind of life they're leading. So if you are someone who's gone to do sort of various expat things and you've got, you know, needs to remit money overseas, how do we start understanding at what point as you settle into a new country that that's likely to occur? Mm. And how do we then present you with a very relevant foreign exchange, for instance, kind of capability Mm -hmm. and rate that's kind of competitive to make sure we secure your FX business as a for instance? Mm. So we look at what we think are kind of, you know, what we call, you know, vintage analysis that gives us mm. the opportunity to say, you know, within three months, mm. first three months, we should be talking to you about mm. FX because it's just going to become part of your day-to-day mm. life. Mm. You're going to be doing FX transactions that you've never done before, mm. so we can hold your hand, we can help you with some intelligent mm. content. When it comes to targeting externally, I'll go back to my cards off but prop- mm. proposition in China, where what we've got to do is start to understand the nature of how you live your life. And we can do that often by using data from third parties such as WeChat and Mm -hmm. some of the other platforms in China Mm -hmm. and how we start being intelligent about how we then present our propositions. I think for us, you know, we don't operate on a kind of, you know, um, shotgun kind of approach. We try Mm -hmm. and find a bit more of a rifle point. Mm -hmm. And those are usually born out of, you know, understanding and learning. And I think the kind of whole Mm -hmm. digital marketing world and the programmatic kind of media buys and the kind of way which we've learned about retargeting have helped us hugely. Mm. Um, we've got some quite good competencies now mm. built around the ability to look yeah. at you know, needs and how to respond to customers at the right time. And uh, are you starting to, uh, or do you incorporate uh, aspects of social media activity in, in understanding where people are and you know, what they're talking about, what stage of their lives, all that sort yeah, of stuff? Or? I think you've got to be slightly careful. <coughs> I think there is a sort of, a bit of a kind of stalker thing that you've got to be yeah. slightly careful yeah. of, which is really the kind of, you know, how much of this do we find ourselves saying, oh, look, he's on Facebook, let's yeah. go and, you know, yeah. it's sort of a bit creepy. Yeah. And so we use social in the right kinds of ways for us, which is really about trying to find, you know, times when things are more relevant to larger groups of individuals. I think, yeah. you know, that whole idea of being stalked on sort of, you know... Absolutely. That's a very dangerous area. I mean, there is potential there, but it's very dangerous as well if people feel like some big brother's watching. Yeah, me, and I think the platforms themselves are kind of slightly wise to it, and they don't want their platforms being yeah. used like that by advertisers and marketing companies. I don't think it's right. What, what about um, First Direct? Is, is there any difference in the way that they would think about how they, when and how they talk to their... Customers. I, again, I'm interested because of the 
very warm relationship they've got with customers, do they, you know, are they more thoughtful about, okay, this is a good time to talk to them, this is not a good time to talk to them about this subject? Yeah, we do understand that there's sort of, you know, often um, times a day and sort of times of the week that it's better to talk to people. You know, yeah. Having a sort of more complex conversation about mortgages on a sort of work day at 10 a.m. is not that smart. Yeah. Having a kind yeah. of conversation or trying to instill a kind of conversation with someone at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday when they've got their smartphone with them and they might actually be, you know, clearly in the market for something, you know, it, it's, you know, we, we get intelligent about, you know, day parts and kind of times of day and stuff like that. You have to. It makes sense. And to what extent, this is maybe quite a difficult question in some ways, but to what extent do you think the the branch network is good at this, you know, when people come into the branches and uh, to what extent are they good at sensitively understanding this is a good time to have conversation X or actually this is not the right time to have that, that, that conversation. The thing that's changed our business from that point of view is the incentive plan. Right. That's when you used to say yeah. to people, you sell, will get a bonus if stuff, you sell yeah. this many credit cards. Yeah. But, you know, you take our Mexican business, thousand odd branches, massive kind of thing. And the Mexican business is brilliant. You know, you give them an incentive and they'll respond to it. Yeah. You know, I always used to say, if you, paint, you tell them to paint their hand green, stick it in a yeah. teapot and wave it over their head and they'll get yeah. an incentive. They do it. You know? yeah. They are brilliant. Yeah. And actually, we just said to our Mexican business, it is about customer service now. Take away all the sales incentives. So you don't walk through the door in Mexico and get a hard sell. What you do is you get people who really want to make sure you're okay. And actually, they respond very well, our customers, to that. Yeah. And then when they have a conversation yeah. about saying, yeah. well, actually... I was thinking about yeah. you know increasing my credit card limit. Well, maybe you'd be better off with a personal loan, yeah. and all of a sudden you have a much better quality yeah. conversation. Yeah. And how was that shift culturally? Because that's a difficult shift to make when people are used to being driven by relatively hard metrics of you know if you sell more you your bonuses. It's quite hard to persuade people that it's going to be a good idea to move on to this new uh, you know softer way of measuring measuring performance or, or maybe they just maybe I didn't they think just, it maybe they bought maybe it. I'm quite naive um, when we did it you know two years ago um, I kind of think I suppose actually, it's, it's hard data in its own way isn't it just a different sort of hard data well but, it didn't suit some people yeah and it wasn't many yeah and it was a probably a, about 20% of people scratched their heads and didn't understand and about 10% of people probably shipped out yeah and that's yeah. kind of fine yeah, you yeah, know if you're the kind of guy who only expect. wants to get incentivized because you know you're a super yeah. salesman and you can make a lot of money by forcing product down you work in the wrong place probably you're still probably working in the wrong company yeah yeah okay that's that's cool final thing i just want to touch on on briefly is is so that's the three aspects of marketing open minds targeting customers building emotional relationships and targeting messages in the right way the other subject i think is a very interesting one for marketers and i hear lots of divergent opinions on it so i'll just get your opinion is the pros and cons of rewarding loyalty, of, you know, of, of specifically financially rewarding loyalty through schemes or bonuses or whatever it might be. Some people say, very smart, those are your really valuable customers, absolutely you should be rewarding them. <coughs> Excuse me. Some, some people say, not, not very smart, actually you, there's an awful lot of money wasted uh, uh, giving money to people who are, who are your committed customers anyway. Do you have a view on that? What, 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 how do you Loyalty for us isn't a kind of sort of bribery exercise. Um, we tend to go back in again to something I talked about earlier. You know, the sort of thing we've done with the Jade Proposition at the higher end is a good example. We give people useful tools as part of the reward kind of you know, criteria for saying thank you for their business mm. that are useful to them. Like quintessentially, like mm. you know, incentives mm. around mm. sort of you know, and sort of discounts mm. in hotel chains and other things that those 
hoteliers and those kind of companies mm. would be prepared to give to people who were quite good customers of theirs already. And so what we're doing is tapping into a sort of known business model. Mm. And for us, actually, you know, the on-cost is relatively modest. Mm. And actually, it's really when you know that actually what you're doing is kind of paying for mm. the utilisation of those rewards rather than sort of saying blanket, we'll give everybody X. Mm. Sort of seems slightly... So it's, it's, if, I'm, if I'm sort of interpreting, interpreting that right then, it's less here's a loyalty programme and more if we can find meaningful benefits to give our customers, we'll do it because, yes. because we just feel that's part of what we're here to do. Yeah, and we do operate credit card reward programs, which mm. everybody does. They're mm. often the cost of entering a market. Mm. Many of our Asian markets mm. have quite you know, robust sort mm. of, you know, extra points here, 20% discount at the yeah. shop yeah, and all yeah, the rest yeah. of it. But yeah. actually it's part yeah. of partnering. Yeah. I think one of the key things in the reward world now is about understanding much more effective partnerships because mm. for us it's not necessarily just about cash or bonus points. Mm. It's about having proper retail partners, mm. proper you know, food and beverage partners mm. who can kind of offer our customers a little bit of benefit for being an HSBC customer yeah. and it's a great thing. Okay, cool. Great. Okay, that's cool. I mean, that's, that's, that's most of the areas that I wanted to cover. But if, if there was anything that you would, would leave behind for people in terms of, uh, you know, building marketing programs that really deliver, um, particularly for larger businesses as HSBC is, <laughs> what would be the one or two, uh, before my voice finally gives out, what would be the one or two thoughts you'd, you'd leave as the things to particularly think about? I think there's only one, really, which is you're a human being as a marketing person. And the people you're targeting and trying to figure out how to sort of, you know, work with and have as customers are human beings. Just be human about it. And do it figure it yeah. out. Yeah. Listen. Yeah. And be yeah. very warm and human because yeah. there's nothing that beats that, I don't think. Yeah. And yeah. so humanity kind of wins in the end. Humanity trumps. trumps but it has to be authentic. You yeah. can't fake it. Cool. Fantastic. What a great message to end on. Chris, thank you very much. Fantastic conversation. Really appreciate it. Really enjoyed it. Thanks. Thank you. Good luck, everybody.